0: You don't have to be a millennial to be socially savvy. We believe anyone can join Generation Social Media and your journey starts now. This is the Generation Social Media Podcast
1: by Chatterkick.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Generation Social Media. I'm so excited to have our guest with us today. Dale, um, I want you all to meet him and have him tell a little bit about himself. But we are gonna talk about the world of NFTs today and cryptocurrency and the Web 3.0. And um, before we get too far in, Dale, I want you to be able to tell Our audience, a little bit of background about yourself. I had a chance to um, look at your LinkedIn. It sounds like you have a very um, vast background in the agency space uh, and in um, with brands. So, give us a little intro to yourself and what you've been working on.
1: Uh, Great, Uh, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I I know all about uh, peeping and creeping on other people's LinkedIn, especially these days. uh, Just trying to, you know checking on people's uh, backgrounds and, and honestly trying to find like-minded people with that sense of curiosity to where they may have been doing one thing for a good long while, but then they have this bug, this drive, this something to go uh, go off and explore and go off and pioneer you know, something new. And, and I, I feel like that that's what we get to all enjoy right now here you know, in the, in the, the 2020s. Um, so I started, I grew up uh, overseas uh, in Southeast Asia. I was born in Thailand. And um, and moved every two or, two or three years. And I became fascinated with advertising because our family, they would record VHS tapes, if people remember what those are, yeah. and uh, of like TV shows, you know, the Cosby show, Golden Girls and all this stuff. And I would I would watch the commercials as if they were a show also and just watching the tapes over and over and over again. And when I grew up and finally realized like, wait, that's someone's job? Like you get to... <laughs> make those like little mini 30 second mini movies um and so i just loved the the thought of advertising um not not the selling not not that part (laughs) but creating the the medium to create something that wasn't like a multi-year movie type thing which i'm sure is is great but having that opportunity to you know really kind of reach out and um and just open people's minds to to new things and uh, toy commercials was something that was obviously huge you know we when you were young and so i did join the agency world uh on the creative side doing a bunch of things for uh, pepsi and frito-lay and pizza hut as some of the first things which is you know a huge blessing to start your career off with some big clients but then we had an opportunity to start working on hasbro toy spots which was like My gosh, this is like manifested. (laughs) It's all come together. So I was the creative director for all the boys brands um, for um, five or six years for Hasbro. And we were literally making these little mini movies um, because we realized that like advertising is like more more tied to selling. And uh, we wanted to actually create content. You know, we weren't calling it. Oh, here's a 30 second piece of content that we're going to advertise with. But that's what we knew that kids were into. And then that evolution was happening. And then I started to look around and saw um, budgets, particularly for broadcast, you know, kept on on coming down, kept Mm -hmm. on shrinking. And so that's when I was trying to discover what else is out there, like what other interesting things are really people gravitating towards. And so that became kind of the sponsorship activation space. So I then transitioned to do things. Uh, I led all the creative endeavors at the agency I was at at the time uh, for AT&T, which they sponsor so many interesting things yeah. um, across entertainment and sports. And so I was able to to do that and bring things to life physically. And then, you know, you start to see like, oh, geez, I, I think there's another shift coming on. Um, and about 2017, that's when I, we were, there's a small group of us that would give these little um, tutorings mm-hmm. to the agency. And that's when this whole notion of blockchain, something, Bitcoin, Ethereum was going on. And we, you know, did our best to present this to the entire agency, but it was one of those moments where I was like, please don't ask me one question. <laughs> I
0: didn't study I up on so I right?
1: over my sleeves. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, but, but I had this fascination with like, I don't totally know what it is, but I know that there's something there. Uh, I was then offered the opportunity to lead the uh, lead creator for the Dallas Mavericks. The NBA franchise here in Dallas, and so I, I had, I had to explore that, you know, because there's only like 30 of those, you know, that ever exist, and so I did that um, across uh, about three seasons um, there. But that's when uh, the NFT, the the DeFi, the decentralized finance version of what where things were in 2017, um, that's where it began to shift and have that creative twist to it. where things you know it is easier to kind of wrap your head around the idea of like a digital collectible Mm -hmm. you know if you know what physical collectibles are digital collectibles like okay i think i totally get it and that's when i started to get even deeper COVID happened i was able to you know um, really on my off time you know not having to drive in i was able to convert that into really trying to find out what the underlying technology is and what you can do with it um and then oddly Uh, being on the inside of a sports franchise more stifling than being on the outside Mm -hmm. because you think you have access to all these you know different players and uh, opportunities there but all of us on these different teams we had our own little chat you know discord going uh, but we couldn't do anything because all the rights are tied up for player likeness with the players association Mm -hmm. with the whistle to whistle action that was all tied up with the broadcasters and so the team like kind of oddly doesn't have much um, as, as far as like what we could bring to life for NFTs. And so last Labor Day, I made the, the, the jump from uh, doing what I was doing with the Mavericks over to uh, what I do now with Zealous, which is we, are, we have this syndicate of interesting things going on in the Web3 space, um, everything from a crypto wallet to in a Web3 consultancy for brands. Uh, to a comedy platform so there's 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 all all kinds of interesting things but it's so exciting um because i feel like back in the day when the internet was getting going i was too young and i missed it Mm -hmm. and so i felt like i was like stuck on the beach as everyone's you know surfing the web but now i feel like i didn't want to be stuck on the beach again so that's that's the jump i made and if that was surfing back then like this is full-on jet skiing that's what i tell people because it's like much faster there's some real octane behind everything you get hit in the face with water constantly, but it's invigorating and you're going to wipe out, but you get back on. And so I'm I'm living my best uh, jet ski life.
0: I love that. That is a great analogy. And just for people that may not have an idea or don't even like have entry-level knowledge, can you just break down like a couple of the vocabs for people? NFTs, sure. crypto, which I think most people know, um, right. but any um, of the other things that we're, we may talk about today, just so people... Um, I was trying to ex- describe this to my 11-year-old the other day, and I realized how much I needed to educate myself because it, it is a little bit tricky to communicate.
1: It, it, it is very tricky, and the space <laughs> has done itself no favors with all the jargon and terminology, and it'll make your brain sweat. And, you know, in some of these conversations we've been in with some very high-level people that are very accomplished and very good at what they do, And when we're talking, you can almost see like they're like wiping their eyes (laughs) and they're kind of like wringing their hands because it's the first time that they I feel like they're on their heels, you know. They've always had an idea of like where we're going and like I know how to get us there. And like, let's all, you know, you know, team our way to the top. And now it's just like, I don't know what's gonna work. And like I don't think anyone there, you know, I would never classify myself as an expert in this space, but I've allowed my my natural curiosity combined with my intuition and just try to do our best mm-hmm. and that's that's the one thing before I even get to a baseline is take a breath and everyone just just enjoy the learning process back when you like your whatever your favorite class was in college or high school like everyone even if you hated school there was at least one teacher or right. one class that really flipped the switch for you and so I advise people to you know don't just start googling you know, web three terminology or crypto terms, you really, if you love macrame, if you love golf, there's probably already a project out there that's kind of sniffing around the space. And it's so much easier when you have those nouns that you're already interested in to then contextualize, oh, okay, now I get it. What was this is now this over here. So the the most baseline thing is if you hear Web3, it is basically classifications of the earliest iterations of the Internet, you know, kind of like the 90s. Mm -hmm. Let's say that the 90s, that's when people first started getting, you know, some access. That's referred to as the information economy. So that is where there were uh, centralized sites like Yahoo's main page AOL's you know start page and they were all centralized because if you there there wasn't even like really a browser like there wasn't keyword search back then you had to like key in exactly you know yahoo.com backslash and you had to get an HTTP right otherwise you didn't go anywhere because it was like one-to-one connection kind of you know not even peer-to-peer just like user to the platform and so that's the web one so all the information was controlled by you know, whoever it was, Yahoo, AOL, and you, the user, were going there and just taking whatever, you know, you could get. All information-based. Shifting more to the proliferation of technology, mobile plays a big part in web two, which is kind of like the platform economy. That's where you started to see these megalith, you know, entities uh, create their own platforms. So there wasn't just like an information page It was an opportunity for someone like a Facebook, you know, named at the time to where you could go there and it wasn't just read only, you could actually write, you could actually, you know, curate your own stuff, you could actually form little groups and you could do all these different things. Um, But it was still centralized and controlled. And that's where the whole phrase of like, you know, if you're not buying anything, if it's a free service, that means you're the product. And in a sense, it was if you're putting content out there. Um, They are using your content to inspire or entertain other people. And the monetization was, you know, okay at best, you know, you hear stories about people on YouTube that are making tons of money. Sure. That's the 1% of 1%, but the average person who's like really trying to grind it out, you know, they're not really able to monetize it because the house, (laughs) the house always wins, Mm -hmm. so to speak. That's web two. Web three represents this decentralized economy to where uh, instead of going to a fully owned entity to do any type of reading any type of writing any type of interacting it's a decentralized thing to where no one truly owns the platform you know if it's a truly you know web3 decentralized entity it's it's a conglomerate of different cohorts to where even the processing even the back end computational power even that's decentralized so it's not set up on like an AWS, you know, server rack that's in, you know, it takes up acres in New Mexico or wherever. It's um, it's actually decentralized by all the people. You know, you hear Bitcoin mining, so the mining is referring to just the processing of the transactions and the computational power that this decentralized group of people are doing to basically support and create that technological backend.
0: Yeah, that's a really great ex- explanation of all that. I think there's a um... I've heard a lot of different descriptions of Web 1, 2, and 3, and I think you really nailed it there. Um, I, do you also think that Web 3 is interesting because of the currency that's playing into it, where it was like Web 1, Internet, Web 2, peer-to-peer platform, and then Web 3, we have peer-to-peer, like no more platforms, and then we have money. We have finance, right. whatever, however, currency, basically, that, that layers onto that um, right. piece of the Internet.
1: Well, I think, you know, when you hear currency, it really all comes down to, you know, what is a store of value? You know, we are a value-based species, and people put different levels of value on certain different things. You know, um, like some people value experiences, and some people value money, and some people value baseball cards, and some people value gold coins, stamps, you know, fill fill in the blank. And that's essentially what creates these little micro markets. And so now you have we're in this day and age where faith in different stores of value is starting to there's attrition going on mm-hmm. you know there's softening and we're seeing it you know right now just on the macroeconomic scale uh, every single sector every single market is down you know the whole crypto world is is down big time also because the the faith in those systems um has eroded a bit but the the exciting part is when you're able to shift to this this more digital form of currency, um, a couple easy things happen that the you know the efficiency of the just the way we interact uh, increases. But then you have these much more novel and, and just very innovative approaches to where you know if you are just a participant in a group or a club, you're able to receive you know coins for your Your contributions just to a conversation so previously like i don't know about you but like i've never been in a cocktail conversation but and someone's been like you know what that's a great point here's a five dollar bill okay that was great that joke was hilarious here's a ten dollar bill and but now um, you know even in some discord groups that i'm on there's a tipping system set up and you know uh, one group in particular called jump you know it's officially a DAO, a -hmm. decentralized autonomous organization and we're able to tip each other with jump coin. And so that's, you know, we're attributing value to uh, people's. You know, you know, worth to the community, which I've, I've never really been a part of before. It's been very transactional. You know, if I do this, you do you give me that. Um, so that's where the digital currency, um, you know, that you would refer to more as like a monetary piece. But there's also social currency. And that's what's the really driving force, I think, to a lot of the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, to where people are putting, converting real U.S. dollars mm-hmm. into a cryptocurrency like, um, uh, you know, pro- probably Ethereum or ETH right now to buy, you know, some type of, you know, lack of better terms, a, a JPEG. It's a smart contract associated with the JPEG that you're all, that's also part of the ride which brings you know to utility so it isn't literally just a jpeg but that's where you see popping up on twitter and even some you know some people are changing their profile pics and linkedin as that social currency that social flex of i have either i've been so in on this space that i got in cheap and i bought you know a a board ape yacht club you know uh nft so i'm able to signal to people that I'm in the know, or mm. I have a million dollars to spend on a JPEG NFT. Um, so that's that other social currency um, that is a very real factor. You know, that's the reason why some people buy super fancy shoes and drive super fancy right. cars, not because like, oh, I just love the performance of my 16-valve sports car. It's because you want to rev the engine at a stoplight. Right. And you want <laughs> to, like, to check out your, your yellow sports car. That's why you do it.
0: So... Let's talk about use case because one thing that's really interesting for me, and I don't know the rationale and reason, I could probably make some guesses, but it feels like marketers tend to be like ahead of this. Um, And I don't know if it's because they're working with brands that tend to innovate um, and so they kind of really um, push forward some of these new ideas and innovations and technologies, but I am in agency groups and there is so much noise and just good information really about the NFT space and about Web 3.0. Um, what's some examples of how brands and businesses are using, let's just take the NFT um, space, because maybe that will help our listeners understand, Like, what could this mean to my business, even if it's not a you know, giant conglomerate or big brand?
1: Right. Well, I, w- I have classified the, the, where we are right now as the cotton candy phase. And if you look back, just even in your own career, um, there's always some new technological innovation that, and they always have a cotton candy phase. So when the iPhone came out and app development was exploding, like the number one app was like a beer pouring app, which is like, <laughs> like what are you going to do with that? <laughs> like other than like, hey guys, check this out. That's a very cotton candy use of mobile technology back in the day. So right now, you know, that cotton candy phase comes in the form of uh, very creative, very artistic driven projects that right now the people haven't totally, I think, capitalized or figured out like the, the they're there. Mm hmm. So you have, you have these collections that come out and it's just like, we've made 10,000 of these awesome looking things and someday, just you wait, someday. <laughs> they'll be worth money. <laughs> the, yeah, they'll be worth money. And, and the roadmap, like now that we have $10 million for this sale, like we're going to be building this game. We're going to be building this metaverse. We're going to be doing all these interesting things, but just you wait. And that's where some people get excited and then some people start to get nervous because you have people who may have, this may have been their first love, you know, actually programming in some of these languages um, for some of these blockchain technologies. But that doesn't make them a good video game creator. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them a good marketer. That doesn't make them all of these different things. And so there's a lot of people that are, frankly, just winging it. They they come from, I want to think that most come from a good place. You know, they aren't trying to scam people
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, out of, you know, you know, their money. But you do hit that, the reality... You know the reality plank has been smacking some people in the face recently to where people in these that have bought into these collections realize oh there there is no there there and these people are not going to get me there where i think brands have the biggest opportunity is very similar to when mobile app development was a thing when real interesting you know web experiences were a thing a lot of those were kind of financially backed by brands Mm -hmm. because you would find this like tiny little you know digital studio or this great agency in iowa that has a thought and a premise and a prototype. And it was brand funding that was able to like really put some kerosene on it and push it into reality. We did that a ton with AT&T. They were an excellent partner in innovating things in that space. So I think what we've been um, in our discussions with different brands is whatever you do, even if it's a test, and I definitely encourage doing these small little tests, Mm -hmm. but it has to be so tied to what your brand represents and what people recognize your brand for. Otherwise, it's just going to be a total, you know, head scratching WTF moment for people. Um, So that's that becomes an interesting exploration to where, again, you have the hand wringing moments where people are, like, oh, my gosh, what is our brand? Like, what is our authentic? You know, what is life? You know, you have these existential moments where people are trying to figure out as a brand, who are they really? And does that actually mesh with who people think you are? And but uh, But out of that, you do get some fruitful territory of with this technology and being able to have not a physical doodad that you hand out, you know, at a sponsorship activation, but a digital one that is now in their, you know, someone's wallet. So all these tokens have to be held in a crypto wallet that you're able to have this different consumer relationship with them on a wallet to wallet basis, wallet to brand basis versus just an email listserv basis versus just another CRM program that you might have already had, you know, historically. And so that's where you start to figure out that if you have a programmable piece of software, which is essentially a token in someone's wallet, could it evolve over time? Could the graphic, you know, Starbucks, you know, they came out and they're like, oh, we're doing NFTs next, next uh, maybe this year, who knows. But I'm very curious, like, what is that gonna be? And how does, you know, whatever they do from an NFT space, will that encourage me to like the brand more? Will that encourage me to try a new drink? Will that encourage me to up my thing, you know, from one more drink per week? That That's that's where um, it's like a new tool in everyone's toolbox to just just tinker with, but at the, at the baseline of that, it has to be authentic to that brand's DNA.
0: Yeah, and I, I see this in terms of how some of the brands are doing this um, is almost just like opening another line of communication and a connection point um, to their audience. And it's probably because there is some technology behind it. It's probably more tethered than, like, let's say, if you have someone like your Facebook post. And you, know, you, you still have a way and a method to communicate. But if you have a connection to them through this M- NFT world, it feels like that tether may be a little bit stronger. And um, maybe the future opportunities could be a little bit um, more vast. Let me break this down because I want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. Um, and I've heard this analogy used, and I'm curious to know what you think. So sure. to simplify NFTs, to me in my brain, they kind of feel like, like if you had a piece of artwork and I am the artist and I make the piece of art and I say, I'm going to have 10 like replicas of this and the people that get this artwork now are in like a membership to my next opportunity. If I do another painting or if maybe now I want to invite you to an exclusive art show or I can communicate um, and that is like your ticket to get in. Is that correct? Does that kind of how a lot of these brands are kind of viewing this? It's almost like a royalty on that kind of quote unquote artwork um, that technically is probably a, like you said, a JPEG or an actual graphic file.
1: The I think that's a great example, um, one that um, that has been has been done to where now you do have these these artists. You know, three years ago there were some digital artists that were like, probably driving for Uber or DoorDash just to make ends meet, and then suddenly they have this way for their work not only to be to be seen but also procured in a much more a much easier and more efficient way and they're able to also build you know these very almost zealot like fandoms but it is the the smart the smart contract the you know the uh, the lines of code and data that are tied to that visual layer the pretty picture that piece of art that's the visual layer mm-hmm. but the underlying piece of you know tiny software that's at the the contract level it's attached to that layer that's where you're able to uh to prescribe a royalty to that So not there's never been a time in the history of mankind where artists have been able to continue to make money off of the initial sale of an art piece. You know, like Van Gogh, like he like died I think penniless. But now you have every single time one of his work sells, whoever the previous owner is, they made like twenty percent, if not more, just on that. So now, just with with your example you are so able to associate like a royalty so secondary sales you know 5% 7% whatever is able to immediately draft back over to whoever the the progenitor of it you know the artist you know they would be continuing to collect that but then just like you said it there are you can also associate a membership model to where this digital thing you bought the real world the IRL opportunity is i'm going to be in miami for a physical party first look of my my next you know showing and the only people who have access is are, are people that bought my original you know nft mm-hmm. artwork so that ends up being something that i think a lot of people um and a lot of artists and a lot of communities have been flipping the switch on to where digital is going to have uh, transferable physical upside and i think the convention space uh is another one that you're going to start seeing you know more and more ticketing comes in the form of nft And they're able to, you know, lock in your identity, your, you know, your passport, if you're international, your driver's license to the NFT. So it really becomes kind of like a one-stop shopping to where this NFT is now not only your ticket, but we also have verified your identity. And it's also your Sapphire Club membership that gets you behind the red, you know, the red rope, Um, that those are the different things that, again, people are just trying to to experiment and tinker with to see like what exactly can this new technology do but by all means we are on the if this is a new big bang like we have just kind of exploded into it so i think it's only going to get cooler more innovative um theoretically more more price efficient because things right now and people you know hear about that's so expensive you know gas which is referring to the transaction fee so all those the decentralized miners out there, you have to incentivize them to process your transaction. And that comes in the form of what's called gas. It's all a transaction fee. Right now, it's still kind of expensive. There's a sustainability issue. So people know that computers use a ton of electricity. And these Bitcoin miners and these rigs generate tons and tons of heat. But even that's going to get better. It already is better than it was you know, three years ago and even a year ago. Um, so it's just like every technological cycle, it's going to get uh, better, faster, cheaper, cooler. And you can just connect the dots if just even your phones, like how crappy yeah, at the time, I, the, I, the iPhone was amazing. But if you look at it now, you're like, this thing is like tiny. I can't read anything. It really <laughs> works very well because it just everything gets better.
0: What do you think um, as we kind of round this out here? I know we gave people a lot of information if you're a business owner listening to this, where do they start? Because obviously there's a lot of learning that needs to be done in some of this, these spaces and depending on your business model, right? A B2B manufacturing company is going to have a very different use case than a consumer um, packaged good item. Um, so where do you think that people should start?
1: The, I, I think you have you have to do it for real you you know if you feel like you have you know a gun to your head that is not a good spot if you feel like you like your job is on the line or i gotta figure this junk out that's that's not that's not the uh the mindset i would encourage people to have i this sounds this sounds weird but what i used to do is i would I'd go upstairs into our office and just kind of be by myself and just like that first time I went into a library or like a, a mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble bookstore, and you're just like, well, okay, so I can just really wander around and look at the cover of all these different books. I mean, that's where the internet is a fascinating resource to where, like I said, whatever topic you're into, if you just add uh, Web3 or NFT or some of those other words to your search, you're going to get something back, you know, you, you know, Google Google. <laughs> is amazing at what they do you're going to get something back and you just have to click through curiosity and start to to read there are lots of um great minds that have been at some of these big corporations doing more web web 2e type stuff but even, but they've been fascinated and they've been pulled over and they've left incredible jobs in order to go pioneer something new in the web 3 space and they've been writing things on medium so medium is a platform where people uh it's kind of like you know Word, what wordpress was wordpress is still a thing but you have things like medium and substack and so it's all these great great thought pieces that are basically free yeah you can subscribe to some people but that's how i did a lot of my my tutelage and learning but it's also you you will find your brain will sweat and you have to be comfortable with it just like when you go to the gym if you feel like you're like man I, i'm kind of out of shape i need to like skill up i need to you know, build my physical body. This is, you're building your, your professional, your mental body, and you're not going to get there scot-free. It's going to take sweat equity to put into it. But I guarantee you, if you do it, it it's, you just, you just start to pick it up.
0: Right. And I think there's
1: that, that, I'm that... oh,
0: sorry. Go ahead. I think that what you said is so powerful and going back to the workout and gym analogy for businesses you don't want to like start running the day you have to run a race and that's my biggest um i think tip to businesses is you you got to start training you got to understand the vocab i love your tip of just google the word that maybe makes sense to your business plus nft web 3.0 so if you're in b2b trade shows i bet they're all thinking about um conventions as you mentioned this stuff um you know different pieces of your business and audiences. It'd be a really great, just exercise for people to, um, explore within their business category. So I think that that's some really great advice, Dale, anything else before we, we, um, close it down. I really appreciate your time today, Dale. And, um, if if people want to connect with you, um, Dale Alexander, what, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: The, uh, probably linkedin that's the um i'm always there by the way linkedin that has become another great resource an easy resource if if you're already you know semi-active on there um if you just start following a couple key people your feed will start to have some of those those nice migratory you know thought pieces that people do and i say migratory because you know i don't think it's a it's the conversion's not going to be a flipping of a switch of web 2 to flip web3 right. switch like that that's that's not going to be a thing it is absolutely going to be a migratory process and shift so if you just go to linkedin and just you know start following um someone in the space your feed will start to have those people and then things that that person you know commented on or liked and that's where you're i, I think it's a good toe dip into into these waters and again like you that if you are on linkedin that's probably you know, a resource that you're already getting some value from for what you're doing right now, especially you know B2B, it's a great resource. The uh, crypto Twitter is absolutely a thing, but it can be a bit it
0: can be a bit, <laughs> be a bit messy. <laughs>
1: yes, because even see even me sometimes I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> what happened? This is the best and the worst of the internet in one in one place. Um, Isn't so that I, Twitter I though? <laughs> speaking, my guess at your audience uh, is that LinkedIn um, will be a good uh, starter set. To check it out, um, but it, I I also leave everyone with this: like you absolutely can do it. That doesn't mean you're going to like open up a terminal and write, start writing smart contracts and Solidity. Like that's not that's not a you. That's not your thing. And don't convince yourself that that has to be your thing. You are absolutely able to find your thing in this new future state.
0: I love it. That's some great parting words. And thank you so much for being on our show, Generation Social Media Podcast, today. Um, We really, I learned so much um, and had a wonderful time visiting with you. So I know our audience will as well. So with that, um, join us next time for another episode of Generation Social Media. And we'll catch you there.